Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Alice Su, The Economist Senior China Correspondent based in Taipei, and I'm here with my co-host, our Beijing bureau chief, David Rennie. Xi Jinping is on a mission to centralize power in China. Recently, he's introduced a top-down push to enforce laws more strictly in the countryside. In response, netizens have coined an insulting nickname for the officials carrying out the policy. This week, we're asking, why are people online so suspicious of Xi's plan for the countryside? And what do China's farmers think? This is Drum Tower. From The Economist. David, hello. Congratulations on your new king. Well, it's not my personal <laughs> doing. You understand these things just happen. They become king. But uh, I did learn the Chinese for coronation. Jiamian mm-hmm. Dianli, at least I think is that. Oh. And I got some pims. I'm sure you've had pims. Great summer drink. Oh, pins. Okay. Yes, I have. I thought you said pins, like commemorative pins. <laughs> could, have, could have gone that way, but no, we went with the mint and cucumber and the pins number one cup. So that was pretty good. Don't get that in Beijing. Yes. Very often. How was your week? It was good. I have to say I, I didn't watch the coronation, but I did very much enjoy the extra day off. I got to do some cooking for friends. And actually, when I say I got to do cooking, I mean My husband did a bunch of cooking for friends and I assisted him. Excellent. So some advantages to working for a British publication. You get coronation bank holidays. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So David, we just mentioned that we're going to be discussing this new insulting nickname that is trending in China. Tell me, what is that nickname? That is right. We are on the hunt for China's newly empowered Nongguan. Nongguan. (laughs) Like rural management official. Uh Uh-huh. Rural management official. I mean, it's kind of funny because... When you translate it into English, it doesn't really sound like an insult, but I can also see immediately what it's meant to refer to in Chinese. That's right. It's a play on words against the city management officials, the Chengguan. And of course, that is a pretty rude thing to say because they are, I think, the most hated uh, form of government in China, right at the very, very bottom of the law enforcement ladder. And uh, they're pretty unpopular. Yeah. It's like when you say Chengguan, basically what comes to mind for me is these guys who are notorious in China for chasing down street vendors in cities and harassing them. And, you know, they're responsible for cleaning up the streets of China's big cities. But a lot of Chinese people see them as these sort of violent, arbitrary rule enforcers who have often abused their power and bully the weak little guy. There was actually a fantastic full-length documentary called City Dream, Chang Shimong, about Changguan battling this fruit seller in Wuhan. I wrote a column about it a year or two ago. (laughs) 
And what's really interesting about that chaotic audio that you heard where the, the old fruit seller, old Wang, is arguing back at the Chengguan, is you see that they're so low on the totem pole that you can sort of pick a fight with the Chengguan because you can assume that a lot of passers-by really dislike these people who work for the city government enforcing those tickets. And so they stand for kind of low-level thugs who you can sort of mock and despise to a certain extent because they're not the police. So, I mean, what is going on now with this new term, Nongguan? Is there a, a new rural version of these guys that are now doing similar things in the countryside? So that is the really interesting question that we're going to try and answer this week, because there has definitely been a huge online backlash against the idea that the countryside is now going to get its own version of these squads of uniformed thugs. So today we're talking about how this works specifically with those law enforcement agents are going to be answering to the agriculture ministry in Beijing and enforcing stuff in the countryside. And there have been viral videos appearing of people having their crops torn out of fields or being told what to do. Wow, so that is a really chaotic video. And honestly, it's a bit hard to tell what's going on. You can kind of see a crop field and then a lot of men pushing each other around. Some of them are in these camouflage uniforms. Others just look like they might be guys from the village and they seem really angry. Yeah, so all that chaos is actually some local guards removing a crop of ginger from a field because that field is meant to be growing something that's more kind of a basic food staple. And it's amazing. Remember some of our episodes recently, people are making comparisons with the Cultural Revolution, with the Mao years, saying, you know, how come people are telling farmers what they're allowed to grow? You're seeing people comparing this to some of the thuggery they saw during the pandemic. So these videos are kind of flying around the idea that there is an outbreak of thuggish bossiness in the countryside. Yeah, and it's interesting that they're removing ginger because they say that that land should be used for more more important crops. I mean, I have read a little bit about this and, and wondered, you know, if this is related to issues of food security and of Xi Jinping saying, you know, we need to make sure we grow enough crops and so we need to have more micromanagement of what the farmers are growing. I mean, is that at all related to this or is it something else? Alice, you're right. There is actually a link between what's happening in that field and speeches given by Xi Jinping about the need for not just food security, but also top-down, more comprehensive enforcement of laws and regulations that, you know, goes back to things like the biggest event of all recently, the 20th Party Congress. So what you can hear there is Xi Jinping repeating something that he said quite a lot since he came into power, where he talks about the need for comprehensive rule by law. And he says that this is a profound revolution in the governance of the country. It's related to the party's ruling and prosperous state, that the happiness and well-being of the people and the long-term stability of the party and the country. And this is the idea that this is about discipline and order and the state delivering stability right down to every street corner, every village. And, you know, this is in the five-year plans for the rule by law. You're seeing new budgets, new resources, and it's about more than agriculture. It's about all kinds of low-level officers coming under ultimately central government control to try and make them more standardized and more disciplined. But people are worried about it, right? Because they think that this means more people will be hired and they'll be given more powers. 
Yeah, and I think one telling example of that is that in these discussions of Nongguan, there have been these screenshots that have gone viral of a procurement document. And it says that there's a squad of these agricultural enforcement agents, what people are calling Nongguan, in Tibet, and they're trying to buy electric shock batons and other police gear. So, you know, people are seeing things like this and sharing them and saying, okay, we're hearing Xi Jinping talk about rule by law, rule of law, but actually how it's manifesting seems to be thugs on the ground getting more weapons to police us. And that procurement document from Tibet has now vanished from the local government website because too many people were talking about it and complaining about it. Yeah, I mean, David, there's this backlash going on online. How is the government dealing with that? You know, are these videos of guys pushing each other in the field, are these videos being deleted? Is Nongguan getting censored? I think what's interesting is they're a bit stuck, right? Because they can't censor all mention of this policy because this policy, as Xi Jinping just said at the 20th Party Congress, is meant to increase the happiness of the Chinese people. And I think what's so really interesting about this backlash and why we're doing this episode is that this policy was meant to be a big win for the Communist Party leadership in Beijing because they know that people don't like arbitrary, thuggish, low-level kind of guys in weird uniforms pushing you around, all those clips we just heard. The party thinks if we say, no, no, we're going to be in charge, don't worry, the rules will be set in Beijing, they're going to behave themselves much more strictly, that this would be a big win, instead of which it's not. So in addition to a bit of censorship, you're actually seeing them on the defensive and rolling out things like Q&As with officials explaining exactly what the government thinks is so great about this new policy. That's right. There was even this statement that the Ministry of Agriculture issued addressing popular concerns about Nongguan. So, you know, clearly they know people are complaining about this. And they explained that, you know, these law enforcement officers need to have legal authorization for all of their actions. And their mission is to stop criminals from cheating and scamming farmers. At least that's what they say. And they explained that the duty of these teams is mainly to crack down on illegal activities like counterfeit seeds and pesticides and veterinary drugs. So you can kind of see they're trying to explain to the masses, this is not thuggery. You know, this is for your own good. This is something that you will like, you will welcome. I mean, Alice, I'm sure you and I have so many stories of going to a village and the local farmers say, oh, someone from Beijing, can we tell you about our local corrupt officials? Because maybe you could tell Xi Jinping or the central government. Because there's that idea, isn't there, that if only the good emperor knew, then these local thugs might be sort of under better control. Yeah, that's right. I have heard that over and over again in different parts of rural China where people are always so eager to say, the central government is good, and I'm sure their policy is good, but it doesn't reach us here. And I've sometimes wondered whether people were just saying that as a form of self-protection to say, you know, like, I am a loyal, good Chinese citizen, and it's just my local guy who's really corrupt. But there's also this Chinese saying, right? And it's this idea that if there's no tiger in the mountain, that the monkeys will proclaim themselves king. And I think that does represent the way a lot of people think about the center uh, versus local authorities. It's like if there is no strong tiger, you know, strong central authority, then whoever you have around you, your local village monkey, your local village official is going to run riot and do whatever they want. It's linked to that whole idea of petitioning, right? They know you've come from Beijing. And so maybe you could be like a petition, but, you know, that very ancient tradition goes back way before communist times, that if you're being oppressed locally, you should be allowed to send a petition, a loyal complaint to someone much higher up. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's not necessarily an appeal to a law that is supposed to hold power over everyone, but it's an appeal to a higher power who's supposed to have authority over the person who's immediately above you. And so the government 
must be really surprised that this promise of centralized, top-down, stricter law enforcement is actually creating a backlash. That can't be what they were expecting. Well, David, you recently went to a rural area to look into what the Nongguan are doing and how they're being received. I'm curious to find out what the farmers there told you and whether they think that Xi Jinping's new plan can actually help solve local corruption. It's a good question. And we'll be back in a moment to talk about what I saw in Hernan and what the backlash online tells us about people's faith in government. You can read much more about China in The Economist. This week, we have a whole package exploring the question of whether China's power has peaked in economic, military, and demographic terms, and what that means for security in the region. If you're not a subscriber already, we have a free 30-day digital subscription just for our listeners. Visit economist.com slash drum offer to find out more. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Well, David, it sounds like there are a lot of ducks and chickens in this village that you went to. I think there's a goose. There's a goose in there too. A goose. (laughs) Yeah. All kinds of poultry. (laughs) So I've been in the countryside, which is my happy place. There's nothing I like more than going to a Chinese village. Although the reason that took me to this particular place, which is in the province of Hernan, was a little bit grim because all of those viral discussions we were talking about where people were worrying about more power for local thugs in the countryside. One of the instances that people talked about happened around the corner from the village. And it was about some local officials who confiscated a lorry full of pigs. They said it was sick. Then they sent them to the abattoir. Then they took all the money from slaughtering the pigs. So it was one of the examples that people were giving. And so I went to this village to ask them if they'd heard about that story. But also, generally, what did they think of these new law enforcement officials, the Nongguan? And what was interesting was that they hadn't actually heard about this online backlash or this online discussion, or even actually really heard about this new policy. Had they heard about the incident with the lorry and the pigs? So not that specific one. I think the big takeaway from going to a village, and this probably won't surprise you so much after all the reporting you've done, is that when you started asking people about the government managing just regular folks, the Lao Baixing, their view was no good comes of it. The people we meet on the ground are basically corrupt, They're looking after their own and they'll treat you well if you are their family. But other than that, you know, you can't trust them. And I told them, what about this new policy from Beijing? And their view was, it can be the best policy in the world. But by the time a policy gets the village, it won't be a good policy anymore. But I mean, what is their day-to-day experience with local officials? Well, things like animal health and checking for diseases, making sure their animals are vaccinated, that is a real thing, not least because there is a really nasty animal pandemic raging around China at the moment of African swine fever, which isn't dangerous to humans, but it kills pigs 
in huge numbers. And so there was a couple I met who had a bunch of sheep. Now, this used to be more of a pig area, but they were saying that for the last three years they'd only been doing sheep because swine fever killed a lot of animals and then you can't sell them because they're not safe to eat and so they had to bury all of them. And I asked them about, you know, is there insurance if swine fever kills all your pigs? And they said, if you have insurance, you get something. But if you don't have insurance, then the government won't look out for you. You know, it's true that backyard farms have been basically abandoned by the Chinese government in this swine fever epidemic. They're no longer reporting cases to the global health authorities in China. But we know that it's around and killing pigs still. But basically, the government is betting on big industrial farms and they don't really want backyard pig farming anymore. So there is this sense that you're on your own and that what enforcement you do feel isn't fair. Uh, you can hear the woman saying the officials are all the same. He says, you know, there's no difference between them. And if you're a Lao Bai Sing, you're just an ordinary person. If you have connections, then you can get things done without having to pay money or go through a registration process. But if you don't have the right connections, there's really nothing you can do. Lao Bai Sing is the classic phrase for the common people in China, the old hundred surnames, so the people with the most common surnames in China that she just used there. Yeah. And, and I mean, David, we just talked earlier about how a lot of times people in China's villages will feel like, I don't have connections to get around my local corrupt official, but maybe I can try to appeal to a higher authority. Was anyone in that village talking about that? This village was so interesting because people had, and to set the scene, there I am standing on this narrow country road. It's quite rainy. There's all these poplar trees. It's really wet around there. Lots of floodplains green fields of winter wheat, but then also this creek. And when you first see it, it's quite dramatic because the sky is reflected beautifully in it, but it's reflected because the creek is so polluted oh. that the top of it is just like this black, slick kind of mirror oh with industrial God. pollution because there's a water wow. plant that you can see through the poplar trees that's state-owned, that treats water from lots of factories. And it actually got fined by a local court because it was putting untreated water into local rivers, but nothing happened because it was too powerful politically to get punished. And they didn't even pay the whole fine. And there was a promise to like put concrete over the creek and they didn't. And so when it floods, the animals get sick, people get sick. That's not meant to happen. And so actually you can make the case that what these people need is not less law enforcement, but better law enforcement. Because that water treatment plant isn't actually meant to be allowed to poison farmers and their animals with impunity. But when you ask the local farmers... Do you think you could petition and take that local water treatment plant to a higher level of government? They just have no confidence that that's how the system works for people like them. Oh, he's very self-deprecating. I mean, I can hear you asking him, you know, what about petitioning? Have you tried going to the higher level government? And he says... Well, someone like me, I'm not good at talking. I'm a farmer. Even if I went and I did try to petition, like, would it really make any difference? And that was the story again and again, Alice. You know, when I was asking these farmers about, you know, the government says they've got these new centralized brigades of law enforcement officials. It's all going to be much more disciplined. And that means that you can trust them because there's going to be more control over what they do. They're going to be obeying standard rules. 
that is just not the universe that these villagers live in. And, you know, there's a really interesting couple in their 70s, basically retired, but they still had this beautiful little small holding with roses on the front wall. And one of them had been a manager in quite a big farm. And so he'd had a lot of contact with officials. And he basically said, it's all about corruption and connections and power that they use for themselves. Mm-hmm. Wow, I mean, I, I love hearing from this guy. Like, I miss talking to people like this in China's villages because they just give it to you straight and they're like, Come on, like, get real. You know how it really is, right? All the officials are corrupt. And as long as they have power, they're going to use it for themselves, obviously. Uh, and no matter what the government is planning, whether it's new laws on like, contracting land out or farming, we just have to accept it because if we're not happy about it, like, what can we even do? It's not going to change anything. And he just says the simple truth is that all crows under the heavens are just as black. <laughs> It was a fantastic conversation. He was also completely unwilling to address any remarks to me at all. He wanted to speak entirely to my Chinese colleague because he kept insisting (laughs) that obviously the foreigner couldn't understand a word he was saying. He's hard to understand. Well, David, I mean, you were, you know, wandering around this village, talking to all the villagers. I'm wondering, did you actually find any Nongguan? Were you able to talk to them? I did, Alice, but it involved a dose of luck. And so as you'll remember from reporting in China, you sometimes just have to kind of walk into a bunch of government offices. Because if you asked in advance to have an interview, they would always say no. And so, you know, I did the classic thing. I went into every office that had an agricultural plate over the door in this county, and I got thrown out of the first three. But the fourth one was really friendly. And he goes, look, I can't give you a formal interview because, you know, I didn't get permission from the propaganda department, but we can have a chat. And what was so interesting was he explained that from his point of view, nothing really is changing. He's the same guy at the same sort of shabby wooden desk with his glass flask of green tea. The van outside may have a new sticker that says Agricultural Law Enforcement Brigade, but it's actually just the same people in a whole bunch of different offices that do things like pesticide management, animal health, inspecting crops going to market, but they're all now under one roof. And he was particularly upset by this idea of the Nongguan nickname, like Changguan. He says, that's really unhelpful. You know, that's about Guanli, about managing people. We don't manage farmers. We're not the police. And he said he'd heard about the Tibetans buying like stun batons. And he was like, I don't carry a gun. I'm not a cop. I just enforce agricultural rules. But what was really revealing was that he did admit that his bosses, way above him, know all about the online backlash and they don't like it. And they had ordered even someone in his sort of township level to post all those explainers from Beijing and the central government ministries on his social media accounts and on the office social media account. So they know that the politics of this are not working as they'd expected. Yeah, that's really interesting. They know about that and they seem to really care about the image and the public perception of what this policy is and whether it's going to help to bring order to people's lives, not to impose arbitrary policing on them, but to really help them and to enforce rules. And unfortunately, some bits of perception are going to have to wait because I asked my friendly Nongguan why he wasn't wearing the smart new Beijing ordered uniforms that everyone's supposed to have with the body cameras and the ID numbers. And he said that they don't have a budget for that yet. And that is a pandemic thing, right? Every level of government is completely stony broke at the moment. (laughs) 
David, what do you think all of this says about the state of politics in China today and the way that people think about the party coming into their lives and helping to bring order? It's a really good question because I think this is about the role of law in Xi Jinping's China. And maybe we should be clear, this isn't the rule of law in terms of an independent judiciary who could ever hold Xi Jinping or the Communist Party to account. Xi Jinping has told us absolutely publicly and explicitly that that is a dangerous Western idea and China will never have that. What he's talking about is governance according to law, making China orderly and safe and predictable and disciplined. And what is fascinating is that there's some really smart scholars like Taisu Zhang at Yale Law School who've written papers recently about how actually as the economy slows and the party is looking for new sources of legitimacy, the idea of delivering just the smack of firm government and law and order, he thinks you can see time and again top-level speeches and documents showing that the party, their plan is for visible coercive state power to be a reason why you trust and feel safe because of the Communist Party. Huh. And there's an idea that that's supposed to bring legitimacy to the party, you know, as opposed to the old style of legitimacy, which was follow the party and we will bring economic growth, we will make your lives better, we will make your children's lives better. Now it's supposed to be, we bring order, we have clear laws. We are not subject to the laws, but we're enforcing the laws on everyone else. That's right. And, you know, we've talked about this in different episodes, you know, the way that the party is extending its reach down to the bottom of the grassroots to every 10 households during the pandemic, all of the ways that officials were empowered to have incredible control over people's everyday lives. But it turns out that at least now that China's in a, I guess, a scratchy mood. This country is not in a revolutionary mood but it's in a kind of scratchy, distrustful mood. And I suspect you can't separate the pandemic from the current unwillingness to believe that top-down law enforcement is going to make life better for regular people. Yeah, I think you can really see that from this online backlash and this quick jumping to conclusions that, oh, these law enforcement people, they're going to be nongguan, they're going to be just like the chengguan, and maybe they're going to be like those dabai. The big whites, those guys in those kind of bodysuits that were yeah. bossing everyone around. Yeah, there's this sense of impatience and distrust. And we already talked about how that maybe is confined to people who are using the internet and taking part in this discussion, probably urban Chinese. But then even on the ground, at the real grassroots in this village in Hunan, you found that people there were also very cynical. Even if they weren't phrasing their cynicism with the same vocabulary, they were also deeply distrustful of the idea of state power at the grassroots doing good for them. That's right. And not just state power. I think what's fascinating is that if you look at the details of that explainer that Beijing put out to try and sell this new policy, they were saying things like, you know, oh, they'll all be wearing body cameras. They'll all have ID numbers that you can see. And that's a kind of promise of really limited accountability, that if one of these guys breaks the rules, that you can report him to the same system that the system will be self-policing, because you certainly can't hire a lawyer and sue them in court. That's not what the Communist Party is offering. What they're offering is strict discipline where people will obey the rules, but the people who enforce the rules that control the enforcers, it's still the party. That's the bet, that it's all like a self-policing system. And right now, I don't know that people are buying that. Yeah. I mean, when I hear that thing about the body cams, like, I just think that this whole idea of you can trust the party because we will police ourselves, it's so farcical. And I, in particular, always think about a while back when I was in Inner Mongolia reporting on these education protests and 
there were all these guys just wearing dark clothing. And, you know, at one point they took me as well into a, a back room in a police station and were quite violent. And I had this experience with these thugs in their plain clothes. And then at one point, the whole experience shifted, I think, because they realized, oh, this is a foreign journalist. And then a policeman came in, took me to another room. He was wearing a uniform. He had a body cam. He turned it on. And it was clear that he's like, I'm following the procedures. We have rules. And so when you have an encounter like that, you realize that in China, there are multiple layers of, quote, law enforcement, right? There's this performance of Xi Jinping's new legality, but then there's the reality, which is if you do anything that challenges what the party wants, they're going to bring out force against you. And when that happens, what are you supposed to do? Like, who are you supposed to appeal to? And how is that supposed to bring more legitimacy to the party? I think this whole Nongguan fuss is just a window on how distrustful people are. And that's a problem for Xi Jinping if you're making this big bet on law and order. Thank you so much to everyone who has been emailing us. And remember, you can always send us more of your comments and suggestions at drum at economist.com. And we have a favor to ask all of you, our listeners. At The Economist, we are always trying to improve our podcasts and we need to hear from you. So tell us what you think about Drum Tower and our other podcasts by filling out a listener survey. It only takes a few minutes, I promise. And to take part, visit economist.com slash drum survey. Thank you for listening to Drum Tower. We will be back next week. Our editor is Poppy Seabag Montefiore. Alicia Burrell and Barclay Bram produced this episode. Sound design is by Tingley Lim and our music was composed by Jocelyn Tan. The executive producer is Marguerite Howell. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.